Merry Christmas. Oh man, that was weak sauce. Let's try that one more time. Merry Christmas. Hey, it's always nice to have you in the house of the Lord with us. Will you stand and let's sing some songs unto the Lord and be reminded of God's grace, his goodness, and uh, may it bring joy to your hearts that Emmanuel, Jesus, our King, our prophet, our priest has come. Let's uh, open in a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for opportunities like this that we can join as your children, uh, being reminded of your grace, your goodness, that you came so many years ago to re- redeem us, to grow into a man, to, to die for our sins, but to raise victoriously. And uh, Lord, may you bring joy to our hearts today as we sing unto you. We love you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Jesus, <laughs> when everyone says amen. Man. All tongue-tied tonight. It's like, man. <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's sing together, folks. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of 
light to the world. We will sing, sing, sing. Oh man, you guys sound awesome this Christmas. As we sing this next song, it, it takes us through the steps of, of the coming of the Messiah. Um, may you be reminded through song that he has come, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's sing together. This baby boy who's come to earth to bring us joy, and I just wanna sing this song to you. It goes like this: the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. With every breath, I'm singing hallelujah.
rescue me this baby boy would grow to be a man that one day died for me and you my sins would drive the nails he knew that broken cross was my cross to fill every breath you drew us hallelujah hallelujah Have a seat. Let's lift your voices together, friends. stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and never pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth.
Morning, Jesus, to be me. 
one more song for you guys and it's called living hope and it's a reminder to us that jesus has come in the flesh to redeem you and to redeem me not simply just as a baby but that he would grow to be a man that would die for you and me and would raise from the dead that we may have eternal life and our hope is in him and him alone may this minister to your heart this christmas um, let's sing together Jesus Christ, my living hope. 
the promise your very body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the queen has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise your very body began to Together, church. Hallelujah. And hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. One time. Set me free, hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings, for the gift of eternal life, and we just pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak to us through your word today, um, teaching us more about you, about your birth, and why you came. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat.
Christmas. Welcome to uh, Sear Bible Church. Where, um, if I, well, first of all, let me start by just saying, uh, my name is Jesse, if I haven't met you, and uh, I get to, for the most part, teach the Bible here every Sunday, which is a great privilege for me that I deeply enjoy. And the last several weeks, we've been preparing for this service and uh, praying for this service, praying for you. One of the things that we've been sharing with our church on a weekly basis is um, be praying for this service. Pray for those who will come and think of somebody that you love, that you care for, uh, that you would invite. And so we've been praying for those two things. One, just for the service in general. It, it is our belief. We do believe that some of you tonight are, are going to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we believe some of you that your relationship will be reawakened in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we believe that for some of you, it, you'll continue to be rooted in the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And so we're praying for that. And then if someone invited you and you came, they invited you because they care about you. They, they think you're somebody special, and they believe that what is shared here uh, will be something that you can walk away with and be joy-filled. We've, we've done our best to, to prepare for the night and everything. I know there are people in the foyer, in the coffee shop, and so it's a lot like the inn. There's, there's not a whole lot of room. And, uh, and in addition to that, we also know that Christmas can be really stressful, and so we've decided that in a few moments to alleviate that stress, we're going to turn all the lights off and give your children little fire sticks. And, uh, and, and then we'll, we, we will, uh, we'll try not to burn the building down. Um, I want to read to you a passage, of course, that uh, many of us are familiar with when we think of the birth of Jesus Christ, what we essentially celebrate on a Christmas Eve uh, and then also on Christmas Day is this reality that God became completely accessible to all people. Uh, I don't know if, if uh, you have ever thought in your life that you would make a good savior, or you would make a good king, or you would make a good God. Uh, you probably, my guess is you probably have at some point. There's something about the human heart that wants to be in control, that, that essentially wants to rule. If, if, if you don't believe me, just, just imagine being on Highway 80 right now with chain control, uh, and, and, and imagine some of the things that would probably go through your mind. You know, things like this. Uh, why are you in the fast lane? This is my fast lane. You belong in the slow lane. There's something about us, essentially, that wants to rule and reign, but we also recognize within Christianity that ruling and reigning ourselves in our own selves really does not make us happy and does not make us joy-filled. We make horrible kings. We make horrible, horrible leaders, uh, by and large, for the most part. And so Jesus came to free us from that. And if I would have come as a king, if I would have come to say, listen, uh, I'm God and I want to transform the world, I would have come a lot in a, lot di much, a much different way than the way that Jesus came. He came as a baby, and he came as a baby so that all would have access to him and that all would feel, if you will, not threatened by him. Uh, how many of you have children? Many of you, I'm, I'm sure, because I can hear them. And uh, I, I, have, I have four kids. I'll talk about them here in a moment, which my wife told me not to, but um, we'll, we'll deal with that later. And, uh, and, and in having four children, I, I, I have held children in my hands immediately after they were born. My daughter, for instance, she was born almost, almost a month early. And in being born almost a month early, she was so teeny, tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny. And I remember holding her thinking that really, that just, just the preciousness and the beauty of it. And I told our church uh, yesterday on Sunday, I said, imagine this, that when Mary held Jesus, she was holding God in her hands. And it reminds us of, of this reality that, that God presents himself to us in a way that none of us should ever be threatened 
or feel threatened by Jesus. He comes bundled in grace as a gift. God couldn't even speak as a baby. He, he quietly comes in the, midst, in the midst of a culture that is very radical. If you remember the story of Jesus Christ, that, that literally Herod hears that this, this little baby is going to be the king of the Jews. He feels threatened that his kingship is going to be robbed from him. And he goes about the city and he, he declares that every child under the age of two would be eliminated. That's the culture in which Jesus was born into. Uh, and yet it was the culture that he saw fit to proclaim his salvation to us. So I want to talk about that a little bit more detail from this passage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, nor that which is conceived in her, for it is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, listen to this carefully here, this is what we're going to talk about tonight, and she, call, she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. For those of you who are parents, you probably can do me a favor and step back to the time that you and your spouse, the loved one that you were with, had the discussion in regards to what you would name your child. Now, I have four children. My oldest is eight. My youngest is two. I had to ask my wife this morning uh, why, why we named our kids what we named them, which just shows how great of a father I am. Um, so we had our first child, and we didn't, we didn't go real biblical in naming him. We, we named him Peyton. And, and many people will ask me, you know, when they find out that my son's named Peyton, they, they inevitably ask, oh, you must be a Colts fan. You must like uh, Peyton Manning. To which I say, no, I am not a Colts fan. I am not a Peyton Manning fan. However, I, I was a big fan of Walter Peyton. I played football, played running back, had a regard for him. And so we named him after a football player. I know, super spiritual uh, and pretty <laughs> radical. Um, and, then, and then our second child came, and we decided to name him Jonah. And, and my wife and I had this very interesting conversation when we decided to name him because she said, if you name him Jonah, if you know the story of Jonah, Jonah's the only prophet in the Bible who says no to God, and he runs from God, and he gets swallowed by a whale. And, and I told my wife, I said, yeah, but what's the rest of the story? The rest of the story is God intervenes in Jonah's life. Jonah can't run from God, and, and this whale spits him back onto to dry land, and then he has to be obedient to preach the gospel to a group of people who have never heard the gospel before, and they come to a saving knowledge of God. The name Jonah literally, to me, exemplifies this reality that if God wants to save you, you can't run from God. So if you're here tonight and you don't know God and you feel an inkling towards him pushing into your heart, don't run from it because I don't want you to get swallowed by a whale or anything else like that. It'll, it'll make your trip to Tahoe a little unique uh, during summertime if you are rebelling against the Lord. And, and so we named him Jonah. And, and then our, our third child, we named her Jolie, which means the Lord is our God. And then our fourth child, we named him David, not only after King David, but after my father who raised me, David. Names have meaning. Uh, and and in, Bible, in the Bible, names 
were, were even more powerful than they are today. A, a name, when you gave someone a name in the Bible, it meant a couple different things. First of all, whoever names you has authority over you. And in addition to that, not only do they have authority to you, but that name had a lot of purpose and identity to it. So oftentimes, you were named after your, after your father in, the, in the, uh, the culture that exists within the Torah and the Old Testament. So you'd be named after your father, and if you were named after your father, you, you had no choice in regards to your profession. If you remember when Jesus, uh, Jesus is born here, it says, first of all, the angel says, you don't get to name him. Mary, you don't get to name your baby. And Joseph, you're not the father, because he is a different father. God's his father. Uh, you have to name him Jesus. And, and if you go even farther in, in Jesus' life, what is his profession? He becomes a carpenter. And he's a carpenter because his dad was a carpenter. So essentially that became his identity. If, you're, if your dad was a mechanic, uh, then you would be a mechanic. It's not like the Western culture today where, where, by and large, when you send your kids to college, you know, we often tell children, you can be whatever you want to be, which has had all kinds of weird cultural uh, ramifications, by the way. Um, and, like, you can't be Superman. I'm sorry, you can't. But we tell our kids, you can if you want to be, right? And, and they dream. And they go out to college, and then they try to figure it all out. Some of them do. Some of them don't. And some of, some of you are 35, and you're still figuring it out, and you're here tonight, and we just pray for you, and we're thankful for you. <laughs> Mom and dad are saying, yes, thank you for saying that. I'm tired of saying it. <clears throat> so, so what I want you to see here, just, just for a moment, is I want you to see this reality of identity and Jesus' identity, the Messiah's, uh, the Messiah's identity, and then, and then I want to broaden that out to your identity. Because our culture, our culture, and other cultures as well, uh, all, if you study this, it's a really interesting study. Uh, identity is actually a big thing, especially in the United States of America. Identity is a huge struggle for people within the United States of America. First of all, what, one of the things that we say in the U.S. is we say, listen, listen, you, you, don't, have to, um, you don't have to let anybody name you. In fact, we, we almost rebel against that. Like, don't let anybody tell you who you are. Name yourself. Don't let your mom tell you who you are. Don't let your dad or your grandfather. Name yourself. Don't let anybody define you. And then we go about this in all kinds of different ways. We say, okay, well, my identity can be achieved through work or career. Maybe my identity might be attached to my good grades, maybe to the family that I'm a part of or, or the kind of money I make. We even in America, we attach our identity to a degree by the kind of car we drive, right? Are you with me? Come on, admit it. Some, how many of you would drive a Prius? See, there's a couple of you like, yeah, I'm a Prius kind of person. And others of you are like, never. I drive a very large truck that will eat your Prius because that's what my truck says about your Prius. We attach to a degree our identity to that which we possess. Or we try to earn our identity through morality, through, through giving or through good works, as the Bible might say. What's really interesting about this is in, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus encounters a man. He's called the rich man. And he's never given a name. There's no name for the rich man in the New Testament. And the reason for that is because when, you, when anything names you that is outside of God, outside of Jesus Christ, you actually lose your identity. You, became, you become less of a human being. So to, drive your, to be a person that is driving to get your identity from anything we would say as Christians from God is actually to lose yourself, to become less of a human being. 
You become just a rich man. Because again, again, all of these things can be taken from you. At some point, your parents may be taken from you. And some of you, Christmas is hard because that is the reality. You, this reminds you of family lost. You can lose your job. You can lose your status. You can lose your Prius. I know there's kind of a rumor out that they last forever, but you can lose your Prius. It's like building, the Bible says, your life on sand. I want you to see within what I've just read here is that at the birth of our God, the birth of our Messiah, Jesus, Jesus is named Jesus not by the declaration of his parents, but by the declaration of God himself. Because his parents have no rule or reign over him because he's always existed. Do you remember the story when Jesus is a young little child? I mean, he, he's, probably, he's probably younger than 12. And his parents are, are there in a, a busy city within Jerusalem, and, and they can't find him. They can't find their kid. How many of you have lost your kid somewhere? Some of you don't want to admit it. I saw some half hands. I don't want to be shamed for this. We lost one of our kids, Jonah, yeah, the one, <laughs> the one named after the running prophet, at Knott's Berry Farm for a little while. It's kind of a scary deal. One time, my oldest thought he was in trouble, so he hid from us in the backyard. Nothing more fearful than thinking that you've lost your child, even if it's just for a moment. There's nothing more scary than that. And his parents, who are raising him, they can't find him. And then where is he? Does he remember where he is? He's in the temple teaching. And he tells his parents, he goes, Guys, you should have known, I've been all about my father's business. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm teaching these Pharisees a thing or two. Can you imagine if your kid answered like that? I'm hanging out at church. I'm teaching Pastor Jesse what he needs to know. <laughs> this is essentially, this is essentially where, where Jesus was coming from. Jesus never listened to this. Jesus had a very clear understanding of who he was. He had a very clear understanding of his purpose in life. He had a very strong identity. He never struggled with who he was. He knew who his father was. He knew, he knew exactly the family he was brought up in. He knew what he was supposed to do. Time and time again in the Bible, you'll see that Jesus continually faces his, his face towards the cross, heading towards Jerusalem, that he would die on, this, on the cross for our sins and our behalf. He knew who he was. And during the Advent season, we've been talking about the three offices that Jesus fulfills, that he is the perfect prophet, he's the perfect priest, and he's the perfect king. In the Old Testament, the prophet literally was the one who speaks on behalf of God. Tim Keller says, if you think about it, speaking in regards to one who speaks on behalf of God, so literally in the Old, the Old Testament, uh, the prophet's job was to declare God's speech. So Keller says, if you think about it, one of the deepest qualities or characteristics of the human species is this. We want to naturally talk to other people besides ourselves. I know some of you are introverts and you disagree with that statement. That's okay. Our literature, he goes on to say, is filled with, with worlds of talking animals, talking trees, talking people from outer space. There's something within the human species that declares and knows that we're, we don't want to be alone. We want to talk to someone else. And the reality is there is someone else to talk to, someone who's speaking to us continually, and, it, and, and it's not an animal. It's not a snowman. How many of you have seen that cartoon? It's God. God speaks, and he speaks fully through Jesus Christ. As the perfect prophet in his identity, God says, I want my people to know that I can speak to you. 
I can declare truth to you, what real truth is. And, and in addition to that, what he's saying is, I can speak to you an identity, a new identity, a new self. The Bible is explicit when it says, listen, if someone wants to know who God is, they have to be born again. And the disciples say, well, wait a minute, how in the world is one born again? How does that happen? And cry, Because they're, they're taking it literally. How, how does one become born again? And Jesus' response is, is really powerful. He says, listen, through man it's completely impossible, but through God it's possible. Jesus, as the perfect prophet, has the ability to speak to you a new name. In addition to that, he has the ability to pronounce through his speech because of his actions on the cross that he's put all of your sin to an end. That he can take the pain that you may be experiencing now. The frustrations that sometimes Christmas brings. It is one of the most beautiful times of the year. Someone told me walking in, they said, praying for you, this is like your Super Bowl. That's kind of weird. It's like my Super Bowl. I hope to score a few touchdowns tonight. But see, God has the ability to speak that perfect word to us. In addition to that, first, uh, the, the Gospel of John tells us that he literally is the word. That the word was in the beginning and the word was with God. And that the word who was God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus literally becomes the person that we need. As we say sometimes here at SBC, all of us long for somebody who fully knows us and fully loves us. God knows you through and through. He knows your old identity. He knows where you've tried to name yourself. He knows where you've tried to earn uh, an identity outside of your parents. Or maybe you've tried to prove yourself to your parents. That is kind of a big thing in our culture. Trying to prove ourselves to our coworkers or to our boss or that we're worthy for a raise or, or, or that we're actually really loved or we're cared for. We're trying to obtain these things again through good works. And what the Bible declares is, is that there's somebody who can know you fully, who can give you a new identity. How, how great would it be if you could leave here tonight with the gift that God gives you that you don't have to strive for your identity anymore, but that it's been given to you by Jesus Christ himself? an identity that is pure, an identity that is new, a personhood that doesn't have to work for it anymore, but is just grateful and thankful that Jesus came that you could know him. Jesus preaches the perfect message to us. In addition to that, we also celebrate this reality within Christ's identity. Not only is he, not only is he the perfect prophet, he is the perfect priest. You know within Protestant Christianity what we don't have? We don't have priests. It's always funny when I'm in the gym, and I meet somebody, and I've got my sleeveless shirt on, and I've got my tattoos hanging out, which I do have. I know, I know that's kind of ironic, a pastor with tattoos. But, and I'm in the gym, and then finally someone says, what do you do for a living? I go, I'm a pastor. And they go, <laughs> they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. Because they, they, you can see them in their minds. They start going through this little bit of a rewind did I cuss in front of this guy? Did I? And I've had people in the gym say, say things like this. I've heard you're a priest. Go, I'm not a priest. I'm not a priest. Because in the Old Testament, the priest was the one who entered into the temple one time a year, who, who, who intervened on behalf of the people. That was the priest's job, to be a mediator between God, to, between, between a holy God and a sin-filled people. And they would offer a sacrifice on occasion so that the people's sins would be forgiven. Now that Jesus has come, he's become the perfect priest, and his, his job, just like the priest in the Old Testament, is to get you and myself 
into the presence of God to be forgiven. And he does that because he becomes not a, not a, a sacrifice that has to be uh, every year, but it's a one-time sacrifice. He's died once and for all for all men. Jesus has died for you once. That's all that was needed. And so here's the deal. He's the mediator between yourself and between God. Good news for me. It's not my job to get you into the presence of Jesus. That's not my job. My job is to be faithful in preaching that Jesus is good. Jesus, who's the perfect priest, it's his job through the power of his Holy Spirit to move you into his own presence and do a forgiving relationship with himself. Do you know that takes all the pressure off of me? I don't, like, like here's the truth. Like, if you're here tonight, and maybe this is the first time you've ever come, you're like, man, it really seems like, like this guy's trying to convert me to Christianity. Let me just be honest and say, yes. <laughs> it's true. I'm trying. But I also know that I don't have the ability to do that. The only one who can actually show you that this baby who, who was once this roaring lion in the Old Testament who's now an approachable baby and that, that he's worth being in a relationship with, the only one who can get you to see the goodness of that is the Holy Spirit. And like when you walked in, we gave you a program. In that program, there's some things you can get plugged into. We've put some of those things in there on purpose. One of them, one of them that we have coming up is a, a Financial Peace University class, which we figured would be perfect after Christmas, right? Since you're probably in debt for all the gifts you bought. Another one is, is for our children's program that, that we have and, and, uh, and for our James study that we have going on on Sundays. We do want and desire that people would come to a service like this and whether you're out of town and you're going to go to another church or whether you're in town and you're going to come to this church or you're going to go to another church in the area because we're not the only show in town, we would pray and hope that God would stir you and move you to get plugged into the family of God because it's where you find your identity and your purpose that is filled with peace and joy. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. When the Bible says there's peace and there's joy, how do you receive that? It's not by working hard. It's by receiving it from him. And then lastly, I spoke about this Sunday, so I won't spend much time here, and we'll close in a moment, is not only, not only is the perfect prophet who speaks to us and the perfect priest who moves us in the presence of God, Jesus is the perfect king. Amen? I mean, there's something I, I said to our church on Sunday, there's something about mankind that just longs for a perfect ruler. We think if we get the right person in office, we get the right king, all the way in the Old Testament. You have the people of Israel longing for a king. Just give us a king and everything will be okay. Even the Jews in the New Testament, they said, they said man, if you, if you would just give us, give us the Messiah that is going to come and usurp the Roman Empire, well, we'll worship him. And by and large, that's why so many Jews don't worship Jesus as the Messiah. Because they believed that the Messiah would come and free Israel from Roman rule. And they didn't get a God with a sword in his hand and a scepter in his other hand ruling over judgment, and said they got a baby who died on behalf of their sins. And they just weren't willing to accept it. They wanted a military captain, and instead they've got a king who's a baby. A king who, who came not to rule the world, but to rule over your heart. We shared this Sunday. You know, sometimes we, we make in church, the biggest enemy there is, is Satan himself. And, and, and God... We desire that God would come and defeat Satan. But, but here's the reality for Christians. The reality for Christians is, is Satan's defeated. He's been dealt the final blow. 
He, he doesn't have power over death anymore. Jesus has that. That's why he was resurrected from the dead. He has defeated death. But you know what still rules sometimes in our own hearts? Self. We want to be our own king. And as we get ready to close, what I'm hoping for is that we would get off the throne of our own hearts because we make really crummy kings. We make really crummy priests. We make really crummy prophets. We don't always have the right words to speak. I don't have the right words to always speak. Jesus makes that perfect for us. And, and as I close, the encouragement would be, as you open up your gifts tomorrow, you would recognize the true gift that was given to you wrapped up and bundled in a manger. The one who, the one who came to reign in your heart, to rule in your heart, to give you purpose. And, and here's what I would ask for you to do. I would ask for you to call out for God to be king of your life. To say, Lord, I want you to reign in me. I don't want to reign anymore. I don't want to reign in my family's life anymore. I don't want to try to nitpick everything. I just want to submit to you. I want to live in peace. I don't want to wrestle with you anymore, Lord. I want you, if you will, here, here's the way to say it within this message. I want you to rename me. Because whatever names you gives you your purpose and your identity. And the Bible literally teaches that through Jesus Christ, he can rename you. He says he can give you a new name. In fact, when in, in Revelations, it says that we'll, that new name will be revealed to us. You know what? I, when I name my kids, I name my oldest Peyton after a football player, but I have no power to make him a football player. I don't possess that power. But when Jesus names you, he has the power to give you a new identity. Amen? So as we, as a, I'm going to ask the pastoral team to come up, and uh, we're going we're gonna, to, if you're not sweaty yet, you're going to be here real soon. Because we're going to do our last song and we're going to celebrate the, uh, the light of the world that's come, the, the bright and shining star. And so those guys are going to come forward, and I'm going to, I got a candle up here. And we're going to sing, and then we're going to let you guys celebrate the rest of your Christmas. And uh, here, here's the message with this, uh-oh. Woo! about to ask who smokes <laughs> not me I don't. so here's the deal <clears throat> the bible describes that before christ the world's dark and as we totally dim all the lights down and we make it dark in here they're they're then they're then in the in the baby in jesus there's this this perfect light he's the perfect light and he shines and he gives us this contrast against the darkness. And this light, this light came because he, God has more passion for people than anyone else in this room. You may love your family. Somebody loved you. They invited you here. But nobody loves you the way that Jesus loves you. No one. And so he comes and he shines this light and he lives this perfect, righteous life so he can transfer that perfect, righteous life to you and he can take on the darkness that exists within you. It's called the great exchange. And then as he preaches that, he says, I'm the light. And then he goes to his disciples and he says, oh man, you know what? You know what? I want you to take the message of goodness, the message of light in a dark world. And I want you to spread this light on my behalf. And I'm going to, Jesus is giving this light to each one of us. And as these guys pass the light down to each other, then, then they pass the light on to you. And so this reality is that Jesus is the bright, shining light, and he gives us the bright, shining light. He gives us the new name 
so that we then can proclaim not only the gospel to one another, remember your new name. Sometimes that's what Sundays is all about. That's why, why we invite people to come. You guys can start lighting, yeah. That's why we, we say, hey, listen, you know why you should be here in church on a Sunday? Because it's a reminder that you need to keep your light lit. I mean, sometimes during Christmas time, it feels like the world is trying to tell you it's all about gifts, it's all about money, it's all about like, like getting here. I know probably getting here for some of you is hard. It's just hard. Life can be hard. And that's the world and self trying to quench that light. And so we're reminded that this perfect light goes forth into the world, and now that light exists within you. So it's amazing. Do you think, think, God who spoke the galaxies into existence becomes a baby, and we're here over 2,000 years later to celebrate this because of what he did through humility and service. Not through power and ruling and reign and judgment, but through grace that anybody can come to Jesus Christ. And many of you in this room, you're, you're believers, you know. You're like, man, I believe in this. And now God says that light, that new identity, you know why I have a new identity? You know why your identity is really real? Because I'm putting it in you. And as you hold this light and you sing, and as we sing together and as we rejoice, it's this reminder that the light has come into the world to give us light in a dark world because we need light, we need hope. Without hope in life, life's really difficult. And, and we need to also see that that perfect light, it exists within me. This light, this bright shining light that will never dim, it'll never go out, it'll last for eternity, it exists within me. So the God of the universe becomes a baby, and then the baby who is the God of the universe gives us this Holy Spirit, and that God of the universe, for those of us who believe in him, he lives in us. Talk about a Christmas gift. Talk about the, the most amazing gift that you... Like, like, seriously, if there's anything you can give your children this Christmas, it's the hope and identity that is found in Jesus Christ. We gave, my, my kids already opened some of their presents. We gave my daughter, some of you know, a beautiful little Barbie doll house. Man, she, she just was so excited for her, her Barbie house. She was playing with it today. It's got an elevator in it. It's way more decked out than I could ever think or imagine. I was thinking, you know, that... that Barbie house, if we scaled it up, probably a $2 million home. It's just, Barbie's living large, man. She's, she's dialed in. But as beautiful as that house is, and as beautiful as my children are, there's nothing more special or unique I can give my children than to let them know that the only identity that matters and the only thing that matters to them is to be in this right relationship with the God of the universe and to live for His bright and shining glory. And Lord, as we sing... And as we leave this place, I, I do pray that you, you, Lord, would allow the reality of your truth and your gospel, which is light to men, Lord, to, to shine and illuminate in us, Lord. I, I pray that, that this light would, would shine in such a way that it would remove any guilt or shame we feel right now, that it would be a reminder that our sin is clean, that it would be a reminder that, Lord, you've, you've come as a baby to die on, on behalf of our sins, that you always knew who you were. You knew your purpose and identity, and so we can know ours, too. Lord, would have, for, for some of us too, Lord, maybe, maybe tonight is a reminder that today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. And I should give my life to you, Lord. It's a reminder for me, Father. If I'm honest, I'm reminded I need to give my life to you every day. And I pray, Lord, those in this room who don't know you, they would submit to you. They would follow you. 
They would run after you. They would seek the one true prophet, priest, and king, great Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. Hey, friends, let's stand together and not burn down the church. (laughs) As always, uh, for you friends that are here from out of town and are just here for maybe once during Christmas, uh, thanks for coming. It's always a unique time to, to share with you. Let's join together as we sing Silent Night.
Family, Merry Christmas. Enjoy your families. We'll see you next year, hopefully, and in the weeks to come. Please blow out your candles, drop them in the box on the way out, and uh, safe travels to you. Take care. God bless you. Malikilikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright, the sun to shine by day and all the stars at night. Elikilikimaka is a wise way to say Merry Christmas to you. Melikalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright, the sun to shine by day and all the stars at night. Melikalikimaka is a wise way to say Merry Christmas to you.